0: So we're continuing First John, First John chapter four, starting in chapter four, and and also I see the our leaders there. If, if Lillian and her minions want to dismiss themselves, <laughs> uh, we got the 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 uh, directors back there for children's church. So uh, go on down, and um, I guess some people already left. <laughs> so. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. This is the, the piece of Scripture, the book of the Bible that we've been looking at for a little while. This, then, is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now we love because he first loved us. This is God's word for God's people this morning. So this passage has that, that famous phrase, perhaps the most famous phrase in... All of First John and and one of the most well-known phrases in the Bible, God is love, and uh, you know I, I think that that's one of those statements that anyone who believes in God kind of agrees with, and everybody affirms. And a lot of people, if you ask them what they believe about God, they'll say, "Well, I believe that God is love." Full stop. And that's and that's uh, that's it. And and it really is you know, it is something that the Bible says on it, but I think it's, it's one of those nuanced phrases that's, that's simple, but it's also complicated, and we've got to understand what he's saying, and got to understand it in the context of 1 John and understand it in the context of the Bible. It's not a reflexive formula. It's not like we say, well, 2 plus 2 equals 4, and so therefore 4 equals 2 plus 2. When we say that God is love, we don't mean that love is God, which is what I've I've heard people people say. Because when we say love is God, what we're saying, what you're saying in essence is my concept of what love is and my understanding of what love is, is really what my God is. So we're not saying that love defines God so much. What what we are saying is, is, is that when we say God is love, we're saying that God's life, God's character, God's words, and God's actions show us what love actually is. So it's not so much that love defines God, but God defines what love is. And as God defines what love is, as God's words define what love is, as God's actions define what love is, we see in God and in God's love the love that your heart is actually looking for, the love that you're actually looking for in your life. Uh, you know, I, I think we're, we look for a lot of things, we ser- search for a lot of things, we all go through life and we try a lot of things, but what we're actually looking for and going for and waiting for and longing for is the love of God for us and love of God in us. And so I want to talk about that using this passage and and how how this idea that God is love informs really everything. And the first thing you got to see is that God's love is an eternal love. Next slide, big guy. God's love, when we say God is love, we're we're reminded that God's love is an eternal love. Because we say God is love, that love is part of the essence of who God is. Uh, And we know that one of the things that love is in its essence, is it's relational. You can't be love unless you have somebody to love, right? Because love is relational. Love always has to have a recipient, someone you're giving that love to. And we know this. The Bible tells us that God existed for a long time before this world came into being. And we believe that God is eternal. We believe that God is self-sufficient. He didn't create this world, and he didn't create us because he needed us rather he created us out of the overflow of his love and so the question is who did god love in all eternity how did god love how was god complete before he created the world how was he complete apart from his creation and the answer that the bible gives is that from all eternity past god existed in perfect harmony and in perfect unity and in perfect love between the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In the sense, you could say that the Trinity, the Godhead as we understand it, is, is that perfect family, that perfect unity, the three who are also one, there the, are three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and one essence, one God, and and that enables God to be both relational and and love, as we define it, and at the same time be self-sufficient, not standing in need of us or anyone else to reciprocate affections toward him. And this eternal, perfect relationship of love within the family of the Trinity is is the heart of the existence of who God is, and that's why he doesn't need anything else. Now, this idea of the Trinity, I would imagine many of you have heard it before. You've at least heard of churches named Trinity Church, right? And So this this concept, it's really the pillar that holds up everything else that Christians believe. It's basically what's expounded there in the apostles creed which we read together i believe in god the father almighty i believe in jesus Christ, His son i believe in the holy ghost uh, and you know that it's an amazing thing about the church is is we have this difficult doctrine this doctrine that kind of transcends reason this doctrine that sounds inherently contradictory that god is one and God is three at the same time in the same place, that doesn't really, that's not something that really is is rational and, and doesn't sound like something that people would make up. And yet billions and billions of Christians through the centuries in all different traditions have affirmed this and put it at the center of their faith. And whenever anyone strays from that Concept of the Trinity, it, it very quickly be, they become something other than Christian, other than believers in the gospel, and uh, and so so that that you know it's a remarkable thing in the history of Christian Christian thought that this doctrine of the Trinity has always been at the center of the church around the world and across the ages and a lot of other things change and a lot of secondary and tertiary beliefs always change and are modified and, and look very different but Christians around the world have held to this this doctrine of the Trinity and uh, be, because what the thing that happens is when you take it away you lose either you lose a self-sufficient God or you lose monotheism, and you say, well, there's three gods, and then you're into a sort of paganism, or you, or you lose a personal God, a God that we can have a relationship with. Will You lose a loving God, a God who loves, and sometimes you get, like, like some other religions, a, a God who's defined by his power or, or something of that sort. Or you get to, uh, like in Eastern religions, where God is not really something that you have a relationship with, but God is a force that you might use. As uh, Obi-Wan said to to Luke, use the force, Luke. Remember that? Use the force. And because we don't talk, you you know inherently as as a child of God that, that it's inappropriate to say, well, use God, use the Holy Spirit. We don't speak that way because we have a relationship with God and we're in communion with God and we rest in in God's love for us. So when we say in Christianity that God is love and He invites us into communion with Him and He invites us into a relationship with Him, you've got to understand that's not being sentimental. That's not just something we make up to give ourselves warm feelings. That's at the heart of what the Christian faith is is all about. That's at the essence of who God is. That's why the Trinity is something that was revealed to us about how it is we understand, how we understand God. Uh, You know, it's, it's, uh, God invites us not simply to follow him, not simply to obey him, not simply be subject to him or to believe in him, but to have a relationship with him because God is love and he loves us and and he wants us to have a relationship with him now i believe if you really want to understand life and culture in new jersey one of the things you need to do is if you're over 18 is is watch the godfather trilogy at least three or four times but there, there's a phrase that comes out of that 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 is often uh often repeated it means different things when it says you know it's nothing personal it's just business right and and i think and and what do you mean by that just a business relationship is is merely a transaction it's not about about how we feel about each other it's just i give you a certain amount of money you perform a service for me i give you i give you a product and you pay me for it and and all that's there i don't i don't have to you know that there's boundaries to that relationship because it's just there's simply a transaction that goes on and so long as we feel like the transaction is fair everything's good right but in a personal relationship those boundaries come down in a personal when we have a personal relationship then we're more concerned about someone's well-being we're more concerned about uh, the nature of the relationship and and our connection with one another And what you've got to understand is that God invites us into a personal relationship with him. He's a personal God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And when we say God is love, when we talk about God as a trinity, this is what we're getting to, is the invitation into a personal relationship with him. That we were chosen by God the Father, we were rescued by God the Son, and that God the Spirit is present with us. So that's the eternal love of God. But what the Bible says also is that it's an active love. You know, the old saying, don't just tell me you love me, show me how you love me. And the Bible says that, you know, the whole story of redemptive history is the active love of God for us. And, and when, when John here says that God is love, he can't even say that without describing and reviewing the actions of God in showing his love for us look at verse 13 this is how we know that we live in him and he in us he's given us of his spirit and we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God God lives in them and they in God and so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us so when John talks about God being love He he talks about it in the same breath as in saying what God did to show his love for us. He gave his spirit and he sent his son to be the savior of the world. And so these things are all intertwined. When we talk about the love of God, you don't understand the love of God unless you understand the work of Jesus. You can't experience the love of God unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because all of this comes together as a... A package this is how God shows his love for all of us and you know what it means to have faith in essence what it means to be a believer from a Christian point of view is to say that I look at God the Father I look at God the Son dying on the cross I look I, I hear about the Holy Spirit and I experience the Holy Spirit in my heart and I believe in these things that God loves me, that God has loved me, God has sent his son to die for me, God has sent his spirit to fill me. And that's the hope of love, you know, the, the message of the Bible is that that is the hope of love for all of us. The capstone of all of this is he gives us the spirit. Look at the very first verse in that reading. He says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us the spirit. The spirit of God is the very presence of God with us right here and right now. And it's because, you know, believing this stuff is not merely an intellectual thing. It's actually a personal encounter with God right here, right now, right where you are. And and that encounter with God, the Bible tells us, happens through the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And that is what you actually need. That's what you're looking for. That's where the healing comes from. That's where the new life comes from. That's where the power to live the kind of life you want God wants you to live comes from. That's where comfort and consolation come from. It all comes from the Holy Spirit working in you, working through you, and working on you. We know in life, I think, one of the greatest curses in life, one of the most desperate circumstances any of us face in life is if and when we find ourselves alone. When you call out for hope, help and nobody's listening, when there's no one who is there for you, when there's no one who is with you, right? And one of the greatest blessings you can give, one of the greatest presents any of us can give to anybody is our presence, to be with somebody, to affirm to somebody, you know to say to somebody when they're going through a hard time, well, whatever happens, don't worry, I'm with you. And that's the promise, that, that's, that's the gift that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. You know, the gift of presence in our personal life is when we give someone our attention when we give someone our interest. You know, have you ever had a friend who's, who's, who's been there for you and when you're going through a tough time that they just pay attention to you and let you talk it out and they're interested in what's going on with you and, and they listen to you and they even empathize with you and, and they get angry about the things that you're angry about and they're sad about the things that you're sad about even though they don't have anything except a, any connection to those things except for their connection with you and uh, to understand what you're going through. And, you know, that's, that's a hard gift to give. And most of us aren't very good at giving someone else our presence. It's a hard gift to give, and it's, it's an expensive gift to give. Because if you give someone an hour, that's an hour of your life that you won't get back. You know, and sometimes it's exhausting when you have someone who's going through a hard time or when someone who has a lot of needs and you... And you get to know them and you spend time with them and all of a sudden their burdens become your burdens and their problems become, become your problems and their sadness and their sorrow becomes your sorrow. That's, that's a difficult thing to do. You know, it's much easier sometimes to write a check or to pay a bill for somebody. And I, I think that's one of the reasons, uh, you know, we like to go to shrink sometimes because it's easier to find a shrink who you can pay $100 for an hour of their time to, so that they can listen to you than it is to find a friend who will just listen to you because they're willing to listen to you. But to give your presence to someone is one of the highest and best gifts. But what the Bible says is, that's why why God sent the Holy Spirit. We live in him, and he in us, and he has given us his spirit. When Jesus was getting ready to go, he said, I'm going to leave his disciples, his original disciples, but I'm not going to leave you alone. The counselor, the comforter will come, and he will be with you. But the essence of this, this is what it means to be a Christian. If you're wondering, you know, some people say, well, that being Christian is about your political stance. Or some people say, well, it's about a certain set of rules you live by. But what, the essence of what it means to be a Christian is to be united with Christ. And to be united with Christ is to be invited into the communion, the perfect communion and union within the very Trinity itself. In John 17, listen to this. Jesus prays. This is incredible. He prays. Jesus is praying to his, his Father in heaven. He says, Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. Think about that for a second. From all eternity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost lived in perfect relationship in perfect communion and perfect union with one another. But to become a believer in Christ, to embrace the concept, the idea that Jesus died for me and that his spirit lives in me, means I'm invited into that perfect union. I'm invited into that perfect communion. So God the Father loves me as he loves his one and only Son. So the God the Holy Spirit is in me as he dwelt in Jesus. So that God the, God the Son, Jesus, is with me, and I am, I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That union with God, that union with God the Father, with God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit, being invited into that relationship is of the essence of what our faith is all about. So he, his love is eternal, his love is active, and he broke into history to make this possible for us. And the final thing I want to show you today is that if you believe this, if you actually get this, if you actually experience this, it absolutely changes everything. Love is transformational. It results in life change. To know the love of God changes everything. Look at verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we become like Jesus. What's the result of this? is not only are we united with Christ, but we become more and more like Jesus in the fullness of what that means. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, see, he's saying that what this does is it changes the basic motivating force in our life from fear to love. And the transformational force in your life won't be fear anymore but will be love if you get this and I've noticed in this world and, and human nature fear can be a tremendously motivating force for us and you can make a lot of people do a lot of things just because they're you've made them afraid of you and I, I mean the most stark illustration I thought of this is the documentaries I've seen of the um, concentration camps during World War II where they where they get all the prisoners to line up to work together to dig ditches and and do things like that. And they're obeying, they're working, they're they're going to bed when they're told, they're waking up when they're told, they're standing at attention when they're told, completely out of fear. And fear can motivate someone to stay where they're told to stay. It can motivate us to uh, dig a ditch or to move a pile or to break rocks. In fact, I think fear's probably the best way to control people. If you simply, if you merely want to control people, if you want to control your kid, just make them afraid, right? And they won't, they'll, they'll stay put. But, and in fact, it was Machiavelli who said, it's always better to be feared than to be loved. Because uh, that, that's how, how uh, you'll, you'll keep things in order. But God doesn't agree with Machiavelli. God doesn't merely want to control you. He wants us to love him more than we fear punishment. Because see, fear can control someone, but love sets us free. Fear sets limits in our life, but love shows us our full potential. Fear can keep you confined, but love sets you free on a quest. Fear can make you dig a ditch, but love can make you sing a song. See, fear can force compliance on you, but an external compliance, but it doesn't really change your heart or my heart. It's love that changes our heart. Fear makes you do the minimum you can do to avoid punishment. Love moves you to do everything you can possibly do to reciprocate affection. And so here's the problem in the Christian life, and here's why most of our most of the time most of us are pretty mediocre in the way we live our christian life is because at base at, at a basic level most of us most of the time we're just motivated by fear and you know that fear is what keeps us from lying keeps us from cheating keeps us from stealing stuff most of the time to a certain extent it might make us give a little bit might make us serve a little bit if if we feel like uh that that'll make up for some of the things we've done wrong perhaps but what god is inviting you and me to is a relationship with him that's not based on fear but based on love that's not based on the fear of punishment but it's based on the fact that all of the punishment that for everything we've ever done past present and future was taken care of by the fact that he sent his son that his son died for us and now the spirit has made us new and And so he's loved us beyond all reasonable limits of what we could possibly expect. And so what that means, if you believe that, if you've embraced that, that's an invitation for you to love God, to obey God, to serve God, beyond all reasonable limits of what God could expect. You know, the problem is for many people, they think of the Christian life and it's about as exciting as digging a ditch in a camp. But the Christian life is supposed to be about no more fear and only love. It should be as beautiful as singing a song or creating something spectacular because it's not about living in fear anymore. It's about responding to the great love of God. The punishment of all of our sins was placed on Christ. The victory over everything we have to fear was secured by Jesus rising again at the resurrection. And so there's no more reason to fear. Because you know what? God knows all about you. God knows even the stuff you keep hidden from everybody else. All, your, all, all the stuff you keep hidden from your church friends. He knows that too. But he knows all that. And he loves us completely. And he loves us eternally. He defeated everything we have to fear when Jesus rose from the dead. And so imagine with me for a moment what you might create what you might accomplish what you might be willing to do how you might be willing to give what you might be willing to offer and what difference you might make if you were motivated merely by the love of God if that became real to you and your life was defined by the fact that you were chosen by the Father that the Son came and rescued you and that here and now The Holy Spirit is present with you. And so that you're never, ever alone. In fact, you're ultimately defined by his amazing invitation into that eternal communion. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for settling for a life based on fear. And I just ask that you would open each of our hearts to see the reality of your love at such a level that we are changed in ways that can only be explained by our encounter with your love. And we're able to show that love to everybody around us. Make that real to us. Make that profound to us. Make that true to us, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.